Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome, especially if you're a visitor this morning. Uh, we, are, we have just started on uh, a new series where we're looking at uh, something called the Nicene Creed. We've left a few more cards on the seats there if you didn't pick uh, one of those up last week. Um, we're going to be working through that. That's, that's a very clear way of expressing some of the core beliefs that we have as Christians. It's a way of really consolidating. It's like that sort of concentrated fabric conditioner you get, you know, or concentrated orange juice. It's kind of four times concentrated. That, this is the word of God uh, really concentrated down there. Um, and as we work through uh, this series, I'm very much encouraging you to send in your questions because we're going to have a bit of a Q&A at the end. Uh, that, that's a helpful way to kind of explore some of these ideas a bit more. So, so we've given you this as well so you can see what's coming in the week ahead, in the weeks ahead. And if you look at that and you think, wow, that's an interesting phrase. What does that mean? then send in the question. We've got that up there. You can send that in. Uh, uh, Joe's far more sort of socially literate than I am, so I don't know what half that stuff is. But that's the way you can send in uh, any questions that you have, and we'll have a Q&A uh, at the, the end. We are, we are on the kind of second bit here that says, uh, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. There's a lot of stuff in there. We're going to unpack that a little bit. But let me start by asking you a question. Suppose I were to stand here today and say, Jesus was just a good man. There's nothing more than that. He was just a good man. Now, that's wrong, by the way, so don't go away with that as kind of what I'm preaching. But let me use that as an example. Suppose I were to say, Jesus is just a good man, how would you tell me that I'm wrong? How would you uh, answer that sort of question? That is a question for you. How would, how would you come against me? Shout it out. What would you say? I would um, point you towards his poverty. Okay. What have you got in your hand there? The Bible, thank you, yes, absolutely right. You'd say, no, that's wrong because it says in the Bible that Jesus is so much more than a good man. Uh, if we click ahead there, we've got a couple of verses there. You might, want to, uh, uh, say, you might want to use that. You might want to say, hey, look, it says right at the beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word, that's talking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, you might have one that's even clearer later on in John, where Jesus says, I and the Father am one. Now, imagine for a, for a moment that uh, I were to say that, and you actually didn't have your Bible. Now, if you left your Bible at home, you might probably still know those verses. You might not you know, think, oh, I'm not sure if it's in John or not, but you say, hey, I know in the Bible it says this, so Ken, you're still out of order. You're still wrong in saying that Jesus was just a good man. But, but when I say suppose you didn't have your Bible, suppose you didn't have your Bible because the Bible didn't actually exist yet in the form that we have it now. So let's go back 300 AD, long, long time ago. You go back that far, and you didn't have the Bible in the form that it was written now. 
You had the letter of John. You, you, you could unwrap the letter of John. And at the beginning of the letter of John, it said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But you had all this other stuff as well from all these other writers who were saying all sorts of odd things and different things and downright contradictory things about Jesus. But you see, when you ask the question, well, actually, let's try and sort this all out. Who is this Jesus? You didn't actually have this to say, hey, we're going to nail it. Because it hadn't been brought together. All those books hadn't been brought together and people hadn't decided that this one is okay and this one's a bit flaky so we won't have this one. Now, you might say, well, so what? Theologians love to argue about this, that and the other. Does it really matter? Well, actually, it was a big political problem at the time. Because a guy called Constantine was the emperor, the Roman emperor. And he was actually a Christian, but he'd also made Christianity the state religion. And so it was actually a big problem for him if in his empire he had all these different people that were saying different things and kind of getting a bit uppity with each other. Because that was going to end up with people coming to blows, and that was likely to end up in some sort of civil war. And for any emperor and ruler, that's not a kind of good place to be. So what Constantine did was kind of a sensible thing. He gathered all the kind of bishops and all the church leaders. Uh, he dragged them all along to a place called Nicaea in modern-day Turkey. This was in about 325 AD. And he effectively locked them in a room and said, you guys sort out what you believe... And when you've made your mind up, that will be the official religion. And anybody that's got something that doesn't match with that, we can label them as a heretic and deal with them however we kind of normally deal with heretics. And it's fascinating. When you read the accounts, apparently there's this kind of bishops actually came to blows over this. Uh, you, you imagine, I, I, I've got to use the example, you imagine uh, uh, New Ground gathering the great good to, to sort of debate some theological point and Steve and Dave Holden kind of duking it out over some minor point of theology. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. But anyway, but in the end they finally got there and they said, hey, this is what we believe and this will help us understand the truths about Jesus. Because there were so many ideas going around, there was a guy called Marcion, in around 150 AD, a guy called Arius, about 250 AD. And they were saying things like, Jesus isn't really God. They had this idea that, well, you can't have God, uh, who, who's this kind of perfect being. Uh, God is so distant and separate from his creation. He's not going to get his, his hands dirty with us down here, us human beings. So, so Jesus can't really be God. Jesus is just some kind of lesser God. Jesus was just created at some point in history. And yes, he's a, he's a special person, but no, he can't possibly be God. And, and, you know, they were clever guys. They would make a compelling case for that. So this is what people had to kind of work out. Um, and many people will kind of think that's still true. Many people will think that Jesus was just a good man. You might well sort of come across that today. And so we, we had to gather all these truths together and, and scripture and verses and say, no, you know, Jesus says, I and the Father am one. That's what it says in John 10.30. And actually, that, that's a, when you read that passage, it's a really clear statement. 
You see, we're doing this series. So, so you, you can use that in a kind of a metaphorical way. You know, the guys of us that are doing this series, you know, Steve, Richard, uh, Danny, Joe, myself, you could say, hey, you, we've sat down and we've talked about this preaching series and, and we're one in what we're going to do. You know, Steve and I and Richard, we're one. Well, we're not. We're three different blokes, aren't we? We're not one in that literal sense. But you see, when it says in John 10.30, Jesus saying, I and the Father am one, it came because the Pharisees were actually asking Jesus a question for a few verses earlier. They said, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, you don't get any clearer than this, okay? So the Pharisees, who, who will come out with all sorts of tricks and clever questions, they've kindly said, now, now, enough mucking around. Tell us now, are you the Christ? Are you God? And Jesus answers them just as plainly. He says, I, am the, uh, I and the Father am one. So you kind of have this really clear teaching that, that Jesus is kind of God himself, God made human and come into the earth. And, and that was one of the things that they had to kind of nail at Nicaea. So they could say that anybody who's got a different view, kind of you're out of here. But also, there's this other end of the spectrum. It's not just saying, well, Jesus is fully God. Is Jesus fully man? Was he really a man as well? And that's a, that's, that starts to get a tricky thing to get our head around. How can he be fully God and fully man? Because there's all sorts of amazing phrases in here. We're talking of one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son. What do we mean by Jesus being Lord? What do we mean by him being a Son? Can you be a Son and be equal? Uh, eternally begotten, there's an interesting phrase. So all this stuff is in here because people are trying to unpack this thing. Can Jesus be fully God and fully man? Because just as there were kind of Marcion and Arius who said, no, Jesus isn't God, you had this whole other bunch on the other side that said, well, Jesus isn't really a man. He was just some spirit that kind of floated around. Again, this idea that, that God would come down and suffer and be punished, and die a cruel death, be nailed on a cross, would be buried, all this kind of human stuff. They said, no, God wouldn't do that. God couldn't take on this kind of human form. He has to be kind of this, this spirit that, that kind of appeared to suffer, that appeared to go through all this. And he just kind of floated through life in some kind of white shiny way with a glowing halo as kind of some of the older films might predict uh, or uh, portray him. Now we may not get that so much today. You get lots of people today who will say well Jesus was just a good man. He wasn't really God. You, you have to dig a bit harder today to find people who say well no Jesus wasn't God. He, he, was, he was just this kind of disembodied spirit. But, but you do see that a lot today with kind of the whole uh, New Age movement. Kind of, there's some uh, uh, lovely spirit that joins us all together. There's no kind of human reality. Well, we last week talked about stroke a stone and it makes you feel happy. Was that your, your association? With, yeah, you know, hey, you know, I, I'm very New Age. I'm, hug a tree, you know, feel at one with the universe. Uh, you know, the, uh, the force is with you. Um, that's a great phrase, by the way. Someone should use that as a catch line for a film, shouldn't they? You know, uh, the force is with you. Yeah, it's, uh, 
it's a great catch line for a movie. It's not terribly good theology. Um, and, and so you have these two extremes that, that Jesus, people were arguing, can Jesus be fully God? Can he be fully man? If he's both, how does that actually work? Do we need to have him fully both? Because 100% of something plus 100% of something else doesn't quite work. But if that's what it says in Scripture, that's what we have to kind of live with and work through. Now, as we go through this in, in, in later weeks, I think we're going to look a little bit closer and more deeply about what it means for, for Jesus to be fully God. But certainly as I looked at these, these phrases, uh, this first bit, I really felt I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes on what it means for Jesus to be fully human. Why was it important for Jesus to be quite literally born as a man? You know, there's, there's loads of truth in there. We've got many verses. Uh, he was made man, it says here, he suffered and died and was buried. There's a very real, there's a very human aspect to Jesus here. Um, but as you go through scripture, you read so much about a very real and a very human Jesus. You, of course, have the nativity story. You know, he was born in a manger. Uh, I have a wonderful childhood memory of nativity plays. We don't do them traditionally anymore, do we? Those of you that have got new parents, your, your children dress up as pumpkins or, or superheroes or something like that, the gospel according to the vegetable patch. But, 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 but I remember my nativity play. We, we had kings and shepherds. And uh, uh, my first nativity play at the age of four, uh, we, we were all sat down in the front row. It was very, very moving, very, very... Uh, uh, very, very exciting. Uh, you, you had the, the, the people that were moving up to secondary school. You know, they had the parts of Mary and Joseph and the three kings. But little me at four-year-old with, with my, my class, we were sat down in the front row and, and we, were, we were symbolically all the children of the world. So, so after the kings had come to the manger and the, 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 the shepherds had come, all the little you know, our, our teachers sort of shepherded us up and we were the children of the world around. It was great. It all fell apart because I was so enraptured with this story. I was so caught up with this story that I actually stayed rooted in my seat. I was just caught up with it. And either the teachers missed it or decided not to bother me. Um, my mum, who'd come to her very first nativity play to see her son not exactly in a starring role, but in a nativity play. She was most upset with me. I actually got quite a talking to on the way home about, where were you? We came all the way to see you in your nativity play, and you weren't there. I've gone off the course totally, haven't I? But anyway, there's this, there's this, this very real, this very human aspect of Jesus' birth in the manger. Um, Jesus grew weary. We read of that in scripture. Uh, he needed to rest. Uh, he needed to eat when he was hungry. He needed to drink when he was thirsty. He wasn't this kind of disembodied spirit that just floated through Galilee and nothing kind of affected him. Uh, he had a normal human um, birth and raising. We don't read much about Jesus as a, as, a, as a young boy, as a teenager, but there are stories about him going to the temple. You probably know that story. He grew up naturally as a boy. He experienced human emotions, you know, sadness, joy. You read the story of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. 
there's these real human emotions that are being portrayed here. Uh, he was tempted by sin, just as we are. The only difference there is that Jesus didn't actually succumb to sin. He didn't sin, but he was tempted. He knows the things that we go through. Uh, and he was called, as a, he called himself a man and was called by others as a man. So, so throughout scripture, there's this real wonderful evidence as Jesus as a very real human being. So very quickly, why is that important? Why is that important? Why is it important for us to hold on to a very, very human Jesus? Well, three reasons. Number one, the punishment for our sin. We've already talked about Nathan was doing that brilliantly, talking about the fact that, that we have all turned away from God. We've all done something wrong. We've all offended God. And there's a punishment that's due us to us because of that. The punishment needed to be borne by a man. Now, if I upset you, if I offend one of you, if I say something wrong or if I do something wrong, and I'm actually sorry about that, suppose, well, it's not going to work if Steve or Valentina or somebody else comes up to you and says, oh, Ken's really sorry that he did that. Because you'd need to hear it from me. Somebody else can't really apologise on my behalf. They can try, but you're not going to be actually satisfied with that, yeah? If I offend you and somebody else says, oh yeah, Ken said he's sorry, well, let him come and tell me himself he's sorry, yeah? So if you make that into a bigger sense, mankind has offended God. Mankind has turned away from God, needs to say sorry to God, but actually, if Jesus wasn't a man, he's actually not in this equation. Because who is he if he's not a man to then apologise on behalf of mankind? So we need to have this very real human Jesus who can, on the cross, without wanting to, to rob it of all its power and glory, I say this, please don't hear this glibly, on the cross, you know, Jesus apologises to God on behalf of mankind. You know, he's paying our price, but he can only do that as a man. Secondly, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, an example that we can follow. Now, interestingly, um, when we think about all this, because I'm going to—I have to give you three points. Doesn't matter if we're going to have a Q and A afterwards, and I've only got 20 minutes, not 30 minutes. I'm still going to get in three points. Okay. So, so, so my first point there—that that only Jesus can represent us as mankind. That's, if you like, the most important theological reason I would suggest. My third point, which I haven't got to yet because I'm only on my second point, just so you're kind of where we are. My third point is the one that's probably going to bring us most comfort. Okay, we'll get to that one in a minute. Uh, but this second point is actually the one that the early church held on to more than anything else. Because the second one, if we've got it up there, is that Jesus is an example to us says there in John 13, I've given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. For this you have been called, says Peter, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow his steps. Now, if Jesus isn't a man, if Jesus is just some disembodied spirit, how is that an example that we can follow? You know, Jesus has to be a man. 
And I say this was really important to the early church because, again, if we nip back to 1 or 200 BC, before we really got all these books gathered together, before people had really got a sound theology of who Jesus is as both fully God and fully man, because that came in later years, what they were holding on to in 1 and 200 AD, when you read some of the writings from the, the church leaders in those days, this is what they focused on. They said, hey, as Christians, the central thing in our doctrine is following this example. Look at Jesus. That's how we should be. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's pretty good theology in itself. You know, we have, uh, we have that phrase these days, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, do kids still wear that on sort of bands, WWJD? Is that it? What would Jesus do? Uh, we kind of made a catchphrase out of a pretty sound theology. Yeah, this is what the church believed in, their, in those first generations. Christ is our example, but, but he can only be an example for us if he's human. And then what I think the thirdly is the thing that brings us most comfort and most assurance and the, the, the real solid reason why Jesus has to be a man is we now have one who understands our weaknesses the whole, the whole uh, story that, that's portrayed out in Hebrews, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, is about one who sympathises with us. One of the verses up there, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are. He can deal gently with those who are ignorant and wayward since he himself is subject to weakness. And you this morning, we've been praying prayers this morning for, for, for all the sorts of situations that you might be facing in your life, with your family, with your friends. It's very easy when you're facing crisis, when you're facing problems, to say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody really understands me. Nobody really understands this situation that I'm facing. And in many cases, you are probably right. But there is one who does, and that's Jesus, who can sympathise with every aspect of what you are going through. Uh, he probably, Jesus, didn't experience his car breaking down on the M23, but that isn't quite what we mean. You know, we, we mean that Jesus was deserted by friends and family. You know, have people let you down, let you down badly, well, here was Jesus in his moment of, of greatest need. And he spent three years with these guys, pouring out his life to them. In his moment of greatest need, they weren't there. Have you been let down by people in that way? Crowds would flock to Jesus one day and then desert him the next. Do you, do you look at your work situation and think, why do I bother? Why do I do this every day? What's the point? You know... Uh, not a question. Don't ask this question of me because I don't know the answer, so just be, beware of that one. Don't ask me this one. Yeah, How does a human Jesus deal with that? that? That's a wonderful thing to maybe unpack. Maybe think about that one in your small groups. How, how does a human Jesus, did a human Jesus cope with disappointment, yet, yet still as, the, as God himself, he was able to say, stay resolute and say, hey, this is where I'm going. But did he juggle with this human feeling? So where's everybody today? Where have they all gone? He will be tested almost to breaking point, 40 days in the desert. 
He will be misunderstood by the very people he had come to reach. You know, it's always it's understandable to be misunderstood by people that are distant, that don't really get what we're doing, but to be misunderstood by the people that are closest to us. Do you identify with any of this? Because Jesus sympathises with you. He will be tortured, imprisoned, without trial. Do you feel that stuff is unjust in your lives? He would find himself alone in his moment of greatest need. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you want to uh, bring these bar stools up, Steve? Let's uh, see if we can... There's something incongruous about having barstools in a church, but I think we just had to do it. We weren't sure last week when we did a Q&A if we should stand, if we should sit. So uh, uh, we'll see if we can perch on these things. Um, thank you for sending in your questions, by the way. That's really helpful. Do please keep them coming. Uh, so, uh, Steve, uh, we want to coordinate that and uh, yeah, see we, what we uh, got. We look like a really bad... Uh, one of those acts that goes out early on X Factor. Sort of <laughs> we we <laughs> promised not to sing, by the, the way. The duet, <laughs> duet on Barstools. Yeah, we, we're not going um, to sing. So one of the things that we, we said we do, Ken, Ken did it really well last week, was just um, there's a twofold application really to, to this teaching this series. One is that, that it helps us to grow in maturity as disciples of Jesus, but secondly, equips us to communicate with confidence our faith uh, to the world around us that doesn't yet know Jesus. Both of those things are really important. And uh, I think it was probably your idea, Ken, wasn't it, that we, uh, that, that, um, we try some different approaches to help uh, get some application into us because we all learn in different ways and sometimes uh, you know, a half-hour, 40-minute sermon can help others and leave others uh, snoozing and dreaming about their lunch. So just uh, over a few of these weeks, we'll do some Q&A like this. I think next week we've got a little discussion panel, which, which should be fun, uh, probably sofas rather than stools. Um, but I uh, really appreciated what you've uh, taken us through there. Um, and again, particularly the application on, 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 um, from a human Jesus. Um, it's, it's gone now from the screen, but those three, those three points... Um, that always resonate, don't they? Particularly that, that, that final point about uh, him sympathising mm. with us in our, in our weakness. Where would you say, um, Caroline rightly said right at the very start, we, all this stuff, we, where do we find it from? We find it in the Bible. And he took us through a lot of examples. For, for you, when you're thinking about a human Jesus, um, what would you say are the most kind of compelling scriptures that, 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 that get your attention if you were to... To you know, show us your workings, as it were. Yeah, show, show us yeah. your working out before what you presented to us today. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, I said those obvious things. Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets hungry. But, but I think for me, the passage in Scripture that just so excites me as a human Jesus is the story of Gethsemane. You, you just see this, ten, not tension's even the wrong word, but this balance here about a human Jesus saying, oh, Lord, if, if this is your will, you know, let this cup pass from me. Uh, he's realising how serious the cross is ahead of him. Uh, but at the same time as God, he's absolutely resolute. You know, he's not going to um, deviate from, from the course that he's got. Uh, so, so guess uh, we've got a bit of feedback there, have we? Do I wanna... um, so, so I think Geth Gethsemane is, is re a really powerful sort of story that portrays a very human Jesus 
struggling with the reality of what he's going through, um, but God who's, who's fixed and determined. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, we, we don't often talk about a human Jesus in that sense. It almost, I, it, either we get ourselves in a muddle because we get locked on the kind of binary, it must be one or the other, like many have done down through the, the centuries. Um, or we feel that as worshippers, rightly, we focus on, on um, Jesus as, as God and all the things we've been singing about him this morning, high and lifted up. And uh, we love the scriptures that speak about his authority and his greatness and his beauty. But I, it, how, 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 do you, how do you worship a human Jesus? Again, without, that's a, maybe a, a big question, but um, who's someone who's just like us. I don't want to worship a God who's just like me. I know what I'm like. So when we're saying I worship a human Jesus, are we saying he's just like me? Or are we, are we can you elaborate on that a little bit? Or? Yeah, I, I think we, if we talk about uh, Jesus perhaps being the son of God, it's, it's, there's a very kind of human term there. And uh, I think the relationship of God and Jesus is, is something that will kind of not quite get our heads around. You know, we, we kind of put this, you know, Jesus was fully human, but there's this, this bigger aspect to it as well. Um, the, the, the guys in, in the creed, they use this word begotten, which is a, which is a really interesting word. And uh, uh, we only get half the meaning of that. If we studied ancient Greek, this word begotten is a very, very interesting word. Uh, it actually comes from the ancient Greek word um, homogenes. Uh, and what it actually means is, it was actually got two meanings. It means uh, you can be the only son, that quite literally talks about being born, having a point of origin. Uh, I haven't got any brothers, okay? Uh, I am the only son of my father. You could rightly say, I am his monogenes. If if we were talking Greek, that would make perfect sense. I am the monogenes of my father. Um, And Jesus is more than that, however, because it's interesting, when you look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, God says to Abraham, sacrifice your only son. And that's monogenes, that's the word that's used there. But guess what? Abraham didn't only have one son. He had Ishmael as well. He had other sons. So this word monogenes has to mean something more. Because it's got this other meaning. It it means more than just literally you're an only son. It means you're someone in a special relationship. Because Isaac was the one through whom the people of God were going to descend. Yeah, we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't talk about Abraham, Ishmael, and his sons. So even though Abraham had many sons, it was Isaac that was the only son that had this special relationship. Uh, and so when, when we talk about Jesus being the only son of God, I mean, we're sons and daughters of God as well, aren't we? Um, But there's something, and even though we're talked of being co-heirs with Christ, there's still something very unique about the relationship that Jesus had with God that transcends kind of procreation or birth or at some point in history coming into being, which is the kind of problems that Aries and Marcion got into. So it's it's a really interesting word to unpack, and I think we, we lose a lot of that in our kind of modern translations. Great, good answer. It nearly got me singing the old Sunday school song, Father Abraham Has Many Sons. Oh, I thought I was going to almost do that one, but we promised we wouldn't <laughs> Many sing. Many sons, there's Father Abraham. But I've managed to put it in people's heads now, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, so you mentioned um, Marcion and Arius there, and 
again, we're not wanting to give people history lessons here, although some history can be helpful because if we learn from it, it is at least. Um, and I think we've recognised that the things that they espoused, the things they spoke about and believed, are, are still things that people struggle to grapple with today and that you hear the same stuff dressed up in modern clothes. Mm. How, if, if you're talking with guys that you work with that, that aren't uh, followers of Jesus and they're saying things like, oh, he's just a good man or he was a good human teacher or he's a great example to mm. us. Um, you know, things we can agree with, but it's the addition of he was just a before them that means, no, he was more than that. Are there any particular scriptures or... Or, or kind of helpful arguments that are behind the creed that you think would help you in that kind of conversation yeah, that, that we could learn yeah. as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, th I think it's really important to, um, to understand where people are at, where they're kind of coming from. Uh, because if someone, for instance, is going to say, well, uh, I, I just think the whole Bible's made up. You know, I, I don't even believe in a, in a historical Jesus. Uh, then I think your answer is going to be very different to someone who says, well, actually, I do believe in Jesus, but uh, you hear something that you think is actually not quite right. So I, I think if somebody said, well, actually, I think the, the whole Bible is just fiction. I think it's all made up. I don't even think someone called Jesus even existed. Uh, I'd actually start by talking about just the historical evidence for someone called Jesus having lived. Because if you, if you actually set the Bible aside for a moment, there's loads and loads of contemporary writings that, that talk about Jesus. Uh, there was a Jewish historian back in the first, second century called um, uh, Flavius Josephus, and he wrote a whole history and, uh, and included things like Jesus, uh, talked about his brothers, talked about his family, you know, really sort of locks Jesus into history. Um, there, there was a, a Roman governor called uh, Tacitus who, who wrote about uh, Jesus as someone who was... Uh, um, uh, tried by Pontius Pilate and crucified. Um, there's far more, if you like, historical evidence for somebody called Jesus having lived than there is for, say, kind of King Alfred. You know, you've got a few references there, but, but we all love King Alfred who burnt the cakes. You know, it's all part of our history. But hey, there's a whole lot more historical stuff for, for Jesus having lived. Um, if somebody's got uh, odd ideas, uh, wants to actually understand Jesus more, uh, in many ways, I'd I probably wouldn't quote scriptures quite so much. I'd want to share my testimony. Yeah. It says in scripture, you know, the, the, our testimony is a powerful weapon. Um, people sometimes don't take too kindly to having the, the Bible thrust at them and Bible verses pinged at them. But, but we've all got a very, very powerful testimony of how Jesus works in our life in a very real way. And that, that kind of locks Jesus in. Yeah. Um, uh, the one thing I tend not to do is, uh, and I'm not quite sure the answer to this one, maybe I'll ask, ask you this question, was uh, uh, I tend not to work very well with the, uh, the people that come knocking on the doors, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses or, or the Mormons. Uh, I, I tend not to want to get engaged with those because I think that just results in an argument. I think it's better that somebody's actually wanting to understand and seek. But I'll throw it on back at you. Do you get JWs yeah, I, knocking on your door or people? Yeah, we've had some recently and they're very nice people. Yeah, I, I think um, it's very easy to see it in other people and not see it in ourselves. And obviously we believe we have a message for the world about Jesus that is true. And if it really is true, it's amazingly good news and we want people to know it. Uh, and so to an extent, if they believe what they're knocking on doors and sharing, then um, you can understand that, that, that they're perhaps going to be closed off to other people's views. And, but it does make it very hard then to have a conversation that's meaningful um, because they generally they don't want to hear what you're saying. Now, we must be careful that we don't take that attitude 
when the boots on the other foot, as, as it were. Um, I was with, uh, I've been seeing a physiotherapist to try and get my dodgy calf muscle sorted out. Uh, and uh, he's, he's not a believer, he's from a, a Catholic, nominal Catholic background. And he said, I was working at the hospital the other day while he's working on my calf, I'm lying on the table. And he said, this lady, this Christian lady, um, she started telling me all about Jesus and asking me if I knew whether my sins had been forgiven. Uh, and I was lying on the table thinking, hey, well, well done, lady, that's great. And, and then he says to me, that was outrageously inappropriate. How dare she do that in a situation where, you know, I, uh, and, and he was sounding off about it. And then he said to me, you wouldn't do that, would you? Uh, so I thought, oh, yeah, okay, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. Actually, people don't like having um, someone who is convinced throwing scriptures at them. It may be absolutely true. I tried to defend the lady a little bit. I said, look, if, if she believes that this really is good news, then I'm not surprised that she wants to share it with you. But of course, you want to share it with people who show that they are open and are wanting to listen, and there's a time and a place for that. And so, no, I'd never want to force the, what I believe to be good news about Jesus on someone. Um, I'd, I'd much rather have a conversation mm. where I know we can, we can be open and give and receive. So, um, so I, th I think it is hard, isn't it? Certainly with people that you know or friends or work colleagues, um, you've, you've got to perhaps look for an opening and an opportunity um, and make sure that we don't become like those that we find difficult, yeah, that, that, yeah. that will just be like automatons and just, just give their spiel and, and not give us any room to, to think or speak for themselves. So and, I, and again, we don't have to win arguments. You know, yeah. we, we bring, yeah, encourage people to come to church, encourage people to look for stuff themselves. It is God that opens blind eyes. You know, that's, that's the truth. Uh, we, we just make an environment where, where that can happen and, and God can actually take someone who, who doesn't believe and bring them to a point where, well, even that they want to ask more questions. Yeah, yeah that's great. And, and that really takes the pressure off in a good sense. So it doesn't mean we live without urgency because we want every moment to be alert to every opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, but that pressure is not ours to carry in that sense. Mm. We don't have to open doors. We have to make someone believe. I think that's really, really helpful advice. So I'm going to get Ken to pray for us in a moment, but perhaps just one more question. You, you mentioned a number of times, and you started that way in your little interaction with, with Caroline, saying about how the Bible is the most important thing. You just give us, in a few moments, a little bit of your story, or I don't want you to speak on behalf of Valentina either, but I, I know many people here love to read the Bible or, or want to love to read the Bible. We just find it hard, either no habits or bad routines or even find reading difficult or whatever. How... Do you just give us a little bit of your story? I know you, you're different in how you're wired to some here. You'll be very similar to others. But what, what does it look like for you in terms of getting the word of God into you? What's your pattern like? What's, just be helpful yeah, to hear your story a little um, bit. I, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, if you're, if you're, you're new to, to the faith and you're thinking, how do I read this Bible? Uh, then, yeah, starting at the beginning and reading it as a, through as a book it may not be the most helpful way to, to do it. Uh, it's very good to get sort of um, Bible reading notes, things that will take you through just a couple of verses at uh, a day. Um, actually, speaking for Valentina, Valentina does that, uh, word of truth, word for the day. Uh, just says, here's the passage for today, uh, read it, and it gives you some kind of helpful thoughts. Um, believe it or not, personally, myself, I, I, I'm not a great um, reader of the Bible. That's a hot, that's, now, let me, let me phrase what I mean by that. Because I, I do read a lot, and what I tend to do is I tend to skim read. Uh, you know, you read kind of quickly the way I'd read a novel, um, and I don't think that's doing the Bible justice. You know, I'll, I'll read a couple of chapters, and then I think, did I actually really understand what was in there? So I actually, in reading the Bible, I find it really helpful to actually listen to it 
Uh, I've got the Bible as an audio book, um, and I've got kind of a, a 10, 15-minute walk to the station, a 10, 15-minute walk back from the station each day. And that's kind of a half-hour window where, where I'm not kind of distracted. So I, I, I might work my way through uh, three or four chapters in that way. Um, uh, and, the, and the plan that I've got is, is going through uh, the Bible um, as it's written, um, but I, I'd encourage you to try different methods. There are absolutely lots of things that, that work for, for you. Some people are morning people. Some people are evening people. Don't knock yourself out trying to read the Bible in the morning. If you're busy trying to get kids to school, trying to sort out little ones, trying to get off to work, do it in the evening. Other people, um, uh, it's the other way around. Some people are happy to you know, have a lunch break at work where you know you can just partition yourself off and read a couple of chapters as there. Yeah, find what works for you, I think, is the simple answer. That's really helpful. Thank you. I think maybe over the next few weeks we'll get one or two different stories about how it works, and hopefully that will help everyone to keep connecting with the living Word of God and, and to grow. Ken, you served us brilliantly this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray for sure. us now, um, pray some of that application in, and then we're going to give Ken a rousing round of applause before we head off down for tea, coffee, picking up kids, biscuits, that kind of thing. Does that sound all right? Well done. Great. Thank you, Ken. Father, we just thank you for, well, we're going to thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this mystery that, that still we're going to unpack over these coming weeks of uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, different yet the same, uh, unique and yet coming into our lives. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Uh, we just pray that you, even for us that know you, you continue to open our eyes more, uh, give us a deeper vision of who you are, just speak into our lives. Lord, for, for folks that don't know you this morning, Lord, if there are folks here this morning that this is new news to, Lord, I pray you'd be speaking to them even now uh, and stirring them to, to want to find out more about uh, how God himself came into this world and, and died for our sins on the cross uh, and lives even now as our example. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for that big picture, that big story of who you are that, that starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation and touches every point in between. Lord, thank you that you're there through all of Scripture. So, so just speak to us, I pray, in these coming weeks. Bring us back next week uh, just to hear more about who you are uh, and what you've done in our lives. Amen. 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 Amen.